Hello again, welcome to another episode of the Uranium Market Minute. Today is Saturday, October 29th, and this is episode number 197. My name is Justin Hewn. I am your host. I'm the founder and publisher of the Uranium Insider Pro newsletter, the only investing newsletter that focuses solely on uranium, finds the best risk-reward investing opportunities in the space, and publishes on a regular monthly basis. As always, nothing that you see or hear in this podcast is intended to be investing advice. I'm not your financial advisor. This is not financial advice. Please always do your own due diligence when it comes to investing, and always take responsibility for your own choices. All right. It's great to be back with you again a very, very exciting week it has been since I last recorded for you guys, which was last Thursday. Um, quite a bit has been happening. We're going to talk about that in the mailbag section at the end of this podcast. Going to run relatively quickly through the daily scoreboard, or at least in this case would be the weekly scoreboard. Not a whole lot to report on there anyways. We're going to fly through that. We're going to look at the charts. I think I'm going to look at weekly charts today um, just to kind of get a broader perspective on what's happening in the uh, uranium equities. And then in the mailbag section, I'm going to talk about uh, a report that was released by the International Energy Aden Agency. And I think that this is, uh, it kind of portends where this industry is going and helps to, uh, let's say, provide some sort of deep foundation for this thesis. So I'm gonna talk about that in the mailbag section. All right, daily scoreboard or weekly scoreboard here. SPUT has purchased 400,000 pounds of uranium since we last recorded. 200,000 pounds yesterday. That would be, or I apologize, on Thursday of this past week. They raised a little bit of money on the same day, but the, the share issuance, the trust unit issuance, and the money raising has been minimal, even though they've been trading right around NAV or a very, very slight discount to NAV. Uh, going forward, it, I think that we're finally going to see some risk coming into SPUT when risk goes back on into markets. I think we're getting close to that moment in time. As for now, we are continue to see just a lack of money flow, and that's not just for uranium. That's across many markets, and uh, just with this risk-off environment, the markets are in just kind of chop city right now, waiting for kind of a, a nod from the Fed to really see uh, where we're going to be going forward with uh, with with risk in markets. <clears throat> The uh, the the trajectory of the dollar, uh, where interest rates are going to be and how that's going to be affecting foreign currencies, et cetera, et cetera. So all of that is kind of on the table. And until we have some clarity there, the market really does not like uh, does not like a lack of clarity. Um, so I think once we have a number of those elements kind of figured out, let's say, or at least the market believes that they are, then we'll have some direction. We've seen a little bit of risk come on with kind of a short squeeze in the S&P. Uh, since we've seen some some leaks from the Fed about potentially slowing down rate hikes. Uh, but we'll have to see going forward next week and the week following how that pans out. Uh, for now, we've got SPUT trading decently um, as far as its proximity to NAV. It's been very close. It's been at a slight premium here and there, but the volume just is not there. We're not seeing institutional money pile into SPUT. Uh, at least not yet. Um, I do still believe that absolutely will happen. Uh, the vehicle is there, ripe for the picking, uh, for money to pile into that to move the commodity. And I believe that it will, even with SPUT largely out of the market. <clears throat> now, 400,000 pounds of purchases in the last eight days is not insignificant, but compared to total trading volume um, in the spot market, we're seeing the spot market essentially remain relatively lofty with not a whole lot of action coming from SPUT. And that's a positive sign. In my opinion, that is a reaction having to do with traders, utilities, producers, hedge funds, et cetera. Um, stepping into the spot market a bit more here, 
likely in reaction to the movement that we're seeing in the term market. And the term market is definitely heating up. The Cameco conference call that took place this last week, Cameco discussed that they have 27 million pounds essentially uh, agreed upon with utilities in, in new term contracts. Now these, they have not signed on the dotted line, but they expect for these contracts to be inked in the next month or two. Um, that's a lot of pounds. If if that happens in the next month or month or two, we're well above that hundred million pounds uh, contracted this year. Right now, we're still sitting at eighty five million pounds total. Uh, Cameco is fifty of that. Um, if we add another twenty seven in the next couple of months. Cameco being seventy seven with an additional thirty five, and uh, boom, there we're there we're at. And I I do believe that next year we're going to see replacement rate contracting. We're going to see one hundred seventy five million pounds plus contracted in the calendar year 2023. I think the setup is ripe for that. Of course, a lot of that has to do with the market remaining bifurcated, and I believe that it will remain bifurcated. All right, ETFs, not a whole lot to report. There's been a little bit of issuance, a little bit of redemptions, um, relatively flat over the past week or so. Um, nothing really uh, standing out in that realm. All right, let's take a look at the charts. Starting off with URA up 1.5% on the week with a big fat indecisive candle uh, right in the middle of this declining channel. Um, honestly, I think that if we see risk off across markets, this is probably going to come down again. Um, I, I ideally would like to see this chop sideways and let this channel catch up and break up back above that. Uh, we're seeing declining volume over the last six or eight weeks uh, right here. And uh, nothing really to hang your hat on technically here. We're trading above this level of support that we've seen previous times in the past, this summer, last summer. And we bounced off that this summer, made a higher low uh, a couple of weeks back. Uh, you could have a little bit of a stretch here and say, okay, we're printing a reverse head and shoulders. I think that's a bit of a stretch here. There's not really much to, uh, to hang your hat on here technically, other than we're in the middle of a declining channel, which is uh, basically a bearish uh, bearish pattern here below the 50 week, which is close to a proxy for the 200 day. Um, and the, and the 50 week is declining right above that declining 20 week. Uh, we need to see some sustained moves upwards to see those moving averages continue to rise. Now zoom, zooming out for the long term, we're still well above a rising 200 week moving average. The break above that was the beginning of the bull market for uranium. Now, uh, I think that we might trade back down. If we go back down to the lower side of this channel, I would be very, very surprised. If we go risk off again across markets and have an opportunity to get back near this, let's say, $18 range for URA, I think that's an absolutely load the boat moment. If we get there, I'm not saying that we do. Kind of directionless here, kind of difficult to say where we are going. The thing that I can say most confidently is where the commodity is going. The markets are very difficult to predict in the short term um, right now with all of the things I've already mentioned, but the commodity is in a clear, uh, a clear trajectory upwards, and that, in my opinion, will continue. All right, URNM relative to SPUT. We are firmly back, essentially, at the valuations of the beginning of this bull market period. Now... This chart begins at the inception of URNM as if you chart SPUT by itself, you're going to see a historical chart for UPC, Uranium Participation Corporation. Now, this chart is not a perfect proxy for miners relative to the metal because SPUT, as we know, back in November of last year or October of last year, we traded at huge premiums to NAV. It got close to 20% premium to NAV. And we go back to this summer, 
Um, and we had uh, we had a 15, 16, 70% discount to NAV, but right now we're close to NAV for SPUT and the equities remain very undervalued compared to the commodity itself. Do I think that this chart will recover? Absolutely, I do. Cameco, with getting rejected pretty hard on the highs of the week, still very reasonable volume for the week. Um, the positive thing about this chart, it is well above that lower trend line that we broke through two weeks ago on the news of the Westinghouse deal. With a chunky raise on the part of Cameco, they did raise, I believe it was $747 million at $21.95 a share. The other positive thing about this chart, we were trading decently above the price of that raise, and we recovered above the price of that raise pretty quickly. That's positive. I honestly think the rejection um, with this weekly candle for Cameco had to do with how much it ran up before the earnings call because the earnings call was pretty robustly bullish. I'll talk about that a bit more in the mailbag section as well. URA compared to the S&P down on the week, a little over 2%. Um, we're kind of chop city here. This still looks overall bullish, in my opinion, well above that 200 week, above this lower trend line, barely, um, above the declining, uh, right at that declining 50 week, which is basically the 200 day. Um, this could continue to chop. This could continue to consolidate at the lower end of this, of this lower trend line within this, I don't know what you would call this pattern. I guess this is kind of an ascending triangle, but with a declining uh, lower highs at each point upwards. Now, I think even if we do make an undercut low below this lower trend line, I expect this mostly to chop until we see either a major catalyst for the uranium equities in the uranium sector or risks uh, risk come back on the market. We see money pile into spot and into the ETFs. Uh, Mid-term to long-term, we break well above this declining resistance line and break to higher highs going forward. Sput down slightly um, on the week down a little over 1% on the week, but printing a nice hammer candle. This uh, head and shoulders, it's not really a classical head and shoulders pattern. So I'm a bit of a uh, stretching there. I don't think we go to a deep discount to NAV again for SPUT. Um, we're, I think we're right at about a four to 5% discount to NAV um, as of right now, but this overall is a relatively bullish chart and we are closing at higher highs than what we closed last September. Of course, we had the trust trading much, much higher in April of this year when we hit a uh, spot price in, in the 60s. And guess what? We are heading there. That is where the spot price is going. That I can say with a lot of confidence. Um, the risk in the markets is something I cannot predict. Sputs, uh, the trajectory of the commodity, that is what's coming. We're going to be in the 60s. and I think it could happen um, within the next 30 days. Okay, so... A couple of things I want to highlight. I just wanted to highlight uh, uh, Grant Isaac's response to a question that I actually posed during the conference call about um, kind of a, a historical context for the term contracting cycle that um, both Mr. Isaac and myself uh, believe that we are entering the first inning of that right now. Okay. Well, the equity, are the equities an inning one? No, they're not. The first inning for the equities if it uh, is a quality company, was the low of the commodity. You go back and the, and the lows should have been 2016, 2017 for, for an equity. Some equities uh, continued to decline uh, from that point and made lows in March of 2020. Um, that was a full-on liquidity crisis, as I'm sure you remember. But uh, we're not in the first inning for the equities. I think that's relatively easy to say, right? We're in inning, you know, probably if we hadn't had a full on nuclear renaissance, I would say, and we were in a further inning, but I think we had a big reset this summer 
And honestly, with the equities trading at valuations like they were compared to the commodity at the beginning of the bull market, we are still in early innings for the equities. For the contracting cycle, we're in inning one. Okay. We have not seen we have not seen a year of replacement rate contracting since 2012. That was the last year we saw uh, the amount of pounds that are consumed on an annual basis by the world's global reactor fleet uh, contracted in long-term contracts, okay? Um, and so I highlighted this in, in my question to the Cameco team, specifically to Grant, is that in 2004, there was about 80 million pounds contracted. In 2005, there were 250 million pounds contracted. Now that not only is replacement rate contracting, that is restocking contracting. That is utilities contracting far above what they would consume in an annual basis. It's important to understand that we haven't seen replacement rate contracting for a decade. And we're not even gonna see it this year, but we will breach that 100 million pound mark. And that will be the first time since 2012 as well. So my question essentially was, Give us some historical context to the current and beginning long-term contracting cycle that we're entering right now, and how does it compare to the last one? And he made some very, very astute observations, as he always does, right? So that was essentially that secondary supplies available during the previous contracting cycle were far, far greater. We were still uh, in this megatons to megawatts program, which is providing a lot of secondary supplies. We still had... Uh, sufficient enrichment to be providing some underfeeding and tails re-enrichment UF6 into the secondary supply spot market for UF6. That is basically gone in the West. And I've talked about this in the past in previous uranium market minutes. Underfeeding in the West is done. It's done until and unless we have a, uh, a reversion to the market, to the global market that we had last year, um, which is to say availability of Russian pounds and technically, they are available right now, and deliveries deliveries are still happening. But the Western enrichers that Western utilities are dealing with um, in a far greater volume now don't have the capacity to underfeed any longer because they are having to raise those tails assays to make up for the increased demand they're currently seeing. And we know for a fact the Western enrichers have already started to raise tails assays, and that's probably going higher. So it's going to be multiple years before there's more enrichment capacity in the West. So the previous market, far more secondary supplies. Another point, the previous market, no actual structural supply shortage. So there was perceived supply shortage that came from a shock event, which was the flooding of the Cigar Lake mine that was under development to be producing in a very near term. And when that flooded, utilities sort of panicked. Was that panic justified? I think in hindsight, it probably was not because we actually did not have a structural supply deficit and there was sufficient supplies uh, above ground mobile inventory and secondary supplies at that time. But either way, you saw how things panned out. We saw huge contracting over uh, multiple years, replacement rate or higher for five years in a row. Okay, That's what happened during the previous contracting cycle. Now, <laughs> now the setup is so much better, it's almost laughable. And when I say better, I'm not just talking about the fact that we have a structural supply deficit. Um, I mean, this year alone, we're talking about you know 40 to 50 million pounds structurally short in production relative to, uh, to demand. And, and we're talking about di uh, diminished secondary supplies coming from the West this year. And next year, it'll likely be essentially zero from Western enrichers. 
Um, and that's not even talking about secondary demand from the likes of Sput, which has purchased almost 18 million pounds this year uh, alone. And that's just Sput. We're not talking about Yellowcake. We're not talking about ANU Energy. We're not talking about the family hedge fund that purchased a few hundred thousand pounds or the producers or the pre-production companies that have produced and continue or have purchased, continue to make small purchases in the spot market. So we have a big supply deficit. Now, of course, we have MacArthur coming online. We have Langer Heiner coming online. And in a couple of years, we approach what is, if you were to take a snapshot, a close to being balanced market. That doesn't really matter. That doesn't matter for multiple reasons because the demand is growing. This is being highlighted by even the very conservative price reporters and uh, nuclear fuel consultants, right? They're saying, okay, the support that we're seeing for nuclear in the West essentially is de-risking the demand story in the West. And all the growth that's happening in the East is icing on the cake, essentially, for the demand picture going forward. <clears throat> so we have an actual supply deficit. We have a utter lack of secondary supply. We have a very, very thin spot market. There's basically no UF6, and there's very little above-ground U308 sitting in the can that's held at the conversion facilities and is available for sale at these prices. Now, are there entities holding uranium that could sell it and might consider selling it at higher prices? Absolutely. There is going to be some liquidity increasing as the price goes higher. But what have we seen now? A couple hundred thousand pounds traded over a number of weeks, and we see big moves in the price. Um, Grant Isaac mentioned that Cameco has been uh, sticking their nose into the spot market, uh, to quote him verbatim. And he says, whenever they do, they see the uh, they see the offer, uh, the the price on the offer rise. Just from them, uh, you know, sticking their nose into the market, they actually see the price rise from that. Um, we've heard language coming from Perijander of WMC Energy, which is the 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 trader that purchases uranium for spot, basically say, um, I don't think I could buy a million pounds on the spot market without moving the price five dollars a pound. Okay. The market is unbelievably thin and it's ripe for money to come in and move this commodity. And it is going to happen. You have to have a seat at the table when it does. Risk off, risk on, Fed rate hikes, Fed no rate hikes. This stuff is sort of, I'm, I want to call it background noise. And I don't want to make light of the fact that we're in a very interesting moment in the world right now with Certainly plenty of uh, recessionary markers. We're looking at diesel shortages for the eastern half of the United States, which could cause uh, major disruption to you know, food distribution and things like that. We're looking at um, one of the fastest rate, rate hike regime that we've ever seen in the, in the U.S. Fed. Mortgage rates skyrocketing in the housing market, uh, coming grinding to a halt. You know, there, I mean, I could go on and on and on for all these macro factors that look very, very bad. Okay. And I understand that. And it absolutely is affecting the, these equities markets, including uranium. And there's been very few markets spared. Uh, one market that's done very well this year, all things considered, is oil and gas. But if you consider that, let's say URNM, I think is down maybe 5% on the year, year to date. And we've seen, we've seen stocks like uh, Facebook, Meta, absolutely crushed down 75% from the highs. Okay. Down probably about 65% year to date. Um, we've seen $40 trillion wiped out in the markets this year. So you have to put things in context. Uranium stocks are still stocks, but what I focus on and what we focus on at Uranium Insider and what you should focus on as an investor or potential investor in the space is the fuel cycle period. Doesn't mean you have to not pay attention to the broad markets. It doesn't mean that maybe you shouldn't hedge if you're fearful. Maybe you shouldn't uh, absolutely hold some cash 
for the chance that we see a liquidity event. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. Very well could happen. You're going to want to have some cash if it does. If it doesn't, it's okay that you're not fully positioned. It's okay. Um, this sector hits above its weight. This is something we always tell Uranium Insider Pro members. Make a rational allocation to the sector because of the volatility, because of the fact that when it runs, it runs really hard. You don't need to have all of your investable wealth in this extremely volatile sector. These are just basic investing disclaimers I shouldn't even have to say, but I know I'm speaking mostly to a retail audience. It's important to protect your capital. If you're fearful of a liquidity event, hedge with a short, you know, short the S&P and remain long. I mean, that's what I do, right? I'm, I'm short the S&P and I'm long my equities. Now the S&P could absolutely melt up and the uranium equities stay, stay flat. That's a risk I'm willing to take. Um, and if things uh, move any much higher, I might actually uh, you know, just close out that short. But things are still very, uh, <clears throat> very iffy, especially for the next couple of weeks. If we have actual clarity from the Fed, the markets might pick a direction for more of a, a sustained period of time rather than just this crazy chop that we're being subjected to. All right. So to circle back, it's very, very important to focus on the fuel cycle. And I think that's really what Grant Isaac um, highlighted in answering that question that I asked is really this market is totally different. It's entirely better in so many ways, better for the price of uranium, better for the producing companies, and ultimately better for um, our investments in the uranium equities. The price is going higher. There's, there's, there's no getting around that. The only thing that can stop the price moving higher is a shock to demand. That is what happened with Fukushima. It wasn't just the nuclear accident that hurt sentiment, which it absolutely did. And that lasted for years. It was the shock to demand that hurt the price of uranium. We need a shock to demand for the price to go lower. If that doesn't come, we're not going lower. We're going much, much higher. Inventories are low. Inventories are low. There's no there's no above ground UF6 for sale right now. It's like the market is so thin um, and that's absolutely necessary that prices go higher to incentivize not only expanded conversion capacity, which is already happening with Converdine next year and potentially with Springfields, which by the way is owned by Westinghouse that Cameco just acquired a 49% stake in. Interesting. Um, but the price is going higher. This is something that I know. This is something I'm very confident in and the markets are going to be what the markets are. Um, I've never seen so sure of a bet right now than being long uranium. Um, despite the volatility, despite being coupled to the oil or inverse to the dollar or the S&P. All right. That's just how the markets are right now. Eventually that will break out. I feel confident in that. And that is what I'm positioned for. So just wanted to highlight that answer coming from Mr. Isaac. If you didn't listen to the conference called live, go back, read the transcript. I think it's important to have that context. And one very important point that he mentioned is that we've never started a contracting cycle from this high of a level. Okay. So he's talking about, you know, $52 spot, uh, about $50 term. Um, we've never started at this high of a level and we've never started with this thin of a market. So things could get very, very, very interesting very quickly. Um, I also think that volumes coming into certain stocks like NextGen, uh, Denison's volume has been decent. Um, Cameco volume obviously been extremely high. I think that uh, the huge volumes we've seen in Cameco, especially the previous two weeks, not so much this last week, that's smart money accumulation, in my opinion. I think that was a major, major change of hands for Cameco coming from uh, the high volume week during the Westinghouse deal announcement. Okay. I think I finished that thought thoroughly enough. One more thing I want to highlight. I want to share something, which was a tweet from, uh, let's see, Richard Allington. Now, Richard um, 
Richard is a colleague of Mark Nelson, who is a uh, at the Radiant Energy Group. Mark, as you probably know, is a very vocal advocate of nuclear energy. He does a number of Twitter spaces, various interviews. He's pretty prominent and um, uh, accessible as well on Twitter for the most part. Um, he He's very intelligent, and I really like what this group is doing. So Mark's colleague states... Um, and now this is, he highlighted some, some elements of the IEA's world energy outlook. Okay. And so this is a report that's, um, hundreds of pages long. So, uh, thank you to, uh, Mr. Arlington for, um, gleaning the relevant data, uh, having to do with nuclear in this tweet thread. So if you go and find him at Richard Arlington with no O on Twitter, you can find this tweet thread. Okay, so what is the highlight? So this report came came out from the International Energy Agency, and uh, this is a what they really highlighted was the change from last year. Okay, so twelve months ago, the IEA had already put out this uh, World Energy Outlook. With now, what they're doing is they're projecting almost kind of a suggestion of where um, energy growth needs to happen. Now, whether this is um, in light of a a goal for reaching net zero or if it's actually an acknowledgement of uh, potentially declining production in oil, um, I'm not going to comment on that. The, this is what their forecast is, and it seems to be mostly be, being driven by their goals and, and countries around the world's goals for quote-unquote net zero goals, right, 2040, 2050. Now, last year, they had uh, uh, an, an increased um, forecast for, 20, uh, for 2040 for nuclear, okay? So currently, let's say data from 2020, Global nuclear energy output was in the realm of around 2,500 uh, terawatt hours. Okay, that was two years ago. It's been uh, 20, and that was 2020, right? So 2020 was probably some cycling down due to uh, lockdowns, right? So uh, probably I don't, I didn't see the data for 2021. It might be a little bit more than that. Either way, um, that was uh, let's say a 90% increase going from the current terawatt hours uh, produced to 4,855, which is what they suggested in last year's world world energy outlook by 2040. Now, what are they, they suggesting? A more than doubling to 5,400 terawatt hours in 2040. So the, uh, the International Energy Agency is absolutely 100% on board to the point where they're suggesting that the world needs to undergo the fastest growth in nuclear generation ever to reach this goal. And this goal is absolutely essential. This is something that, in my opinion, uh, is a very important underpinning of this thesis. Now, of course, we're betting on kind of this contracting cycle and the trajectory of the commodity and the, on the way up, but this is becoming a much more long-term investment potentially. And if you're a nuclear utility and you're seeing things like this IEA's World Energy Outlook, like you're seeing... Um, uh, uh, the the stuff being put out by the WNA, you're seeing the nuclear energy consultants saying, "Hey guys, we're never going to see a three handle again," and I'd be surprised if we hit forty five dollars ever again for for spot uranium. That's coming from the conservative price reporters and and uh, consultancies. Okay, if you're a utility and you're seeing all of this happening, it's going to inform your 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 methods of contracting and your urgency for contracting. That is what's coming. That is what we're excited about, what we're positioned for. All right. If you are a member, we have a very exciting webinar guest for November. I'm not going to release that yet. We're still nailing it down. 
but it's looking positive and I hope that you're able to join us. If you are not a member and you'd like to get a sample of our content, click the link in the description. You can get a sample of a previous month's newsletter and get an idea about the type of content we put out. In addition to these monthly letters, you get um, emailed bulletins. You get my daily market updates, which I've had uh, very robust, positive feedback for. Um, they're only accessible by logging into our website. So they're behind the paywall. You get access to that, whether you're a quarterly member or an annual member. Um, and that's where we get into actual detail on the companies and anything that is relevant to share on a daily basis is important to understand that is what is shared in those updates. So you get those uh, trade ideas, the weekly, um, uh, the bulletins, the daily updates, the monthly webinars, and the monthly newsletters. That's all included in the membership, quarterly or annual. If you'd like to get a, con a sample of that content, at least the monthly newsletter, click the link below. You'll get a sample of that. Love to have you on board. This is going to be a very, very exciting next few years ahead of us and potentially beyond. Thank you for listening. I do appreciate all of you. I will uh, see you next week. Cheers.